Welcome back to the Cardboard Herald's Off the Table, a weekly, semi-weekly, bi-weekly, some sort of scheduled show in which we talk about board game stuff. I'm your host, Jack. I'm joined by our host, John. John, it's been a couple weeks. Have you been playing some games? Do you have things to talk about today? Uh, I have. I did. I shall. (laughs) Well, today... We are talking about a loaded topic, license games, games that are based off of pre-existing IPs. And we have a lot of things to to wrap our brains around and to discuss here. But I thought for our purposes, for the discussion, we should actually open with some of the things that we were talking about behind the scenes when we were preparing to do this. Like, what are we even really talking about when we are describing a a licensed game because there's some ambiguity there's what you might traditionally think of as a licensed game and there's also literally this is any pre-existing world so where did you draw your line well i mean of course you could you could just go with like the legal definition of you know when we're talking about licensing did it require license but i wouldn't go that far because we we rattled off a couple the first question i asked you was well i think we both agree that like l5r you know fantasy flight has made a bunch of games in that universe that used to belong to aeg but that was always a game a game universe so and so it's like magic the gathering so i wouldn't say that them branching out in other tabletop games would constitute licensing as we would think of it um i i am kind of on the fence about games workshop because again i think you know how different of a property is the tabletop war gaming that they do and then translating that into board game universe that also might fall although i did include it in my count of licensed games that might also fall off the radar i think what we really decided was definitely distinct properties that started out as books tv movie comic uh, you know, other media that was not on the table. I think we agreed that generally a role-playing game is a game, but it's not a board game the way we think of board <laughs> games. So like D&D licensing counts, I guess. But but really, I think our focus was more on those other media forms. Yeah, well, even after we were shooting some text about the D&D thing, because I was like, yeah, I guess I could kind of see Lords of Waterdeep as a licensed game because it, it's really an adaptation of the universe as set up by the role-playing game, but then fleshed out by all kinds of other media. But then I got thinking about the Legend of the Five Rings example, and I wouldn't say that the, the um, for example, the very popular Legend of the Five Rings RPG was a licensed property based off of the CCG. Uh, so going that way didn't seem like a licensing adaptation. And then you could also get into like, well, the distinction between card games and other board games is probably about as distinct as an RPG is to some adventure board games. I don't know. I think it's all semantics. Uh, and I think where we fall is when we're talking about a, a game that is taking some sort of hot property that people love and packing it in there and either successfully or terribly (laughs) adapting the the theme in order to sell fat stacks of games just for the record for the uh, yeah it is absolutely and i think i think really we're just Look, we get pedantic about everything, but <laughs> at the end of the day, the ones we're going to focus on are going to be the the uh, the pinnacles and the pits, the things that are at the the least ambiguous. So, 
Um, I'm thinking my scale here, we always need a Harry Potter to Mozart scale. I'm thinking my scale on the bottom end is uh, Mario Brothers the movie. That's that. That's that's the ones that tank. You know, turning something that should never be something else into that thing, or and hey, doing it terribly. Do not do not disparage the great Bob Hoskins, rest in peace, John Leguizamo, and Dennis Hopper. I mean, come on, cinematic masterpiece. Like it, that should be our benchmark for like the Mozart of adaptations. If that's I was thinking, we'd go Lord of the Rings to to Mario Brothers. Like we've got to <laughs> do two dissimilar things, but both are adaptations. Yeah. Uh, Okay, yeah. well, well, then uh, we got a few things uh, that we could discuss. So uh, I, I think what preempted this for me uh, was that there was this announcement for Simon doing a, a uh, Masters of the Universe board game. And my gut reaction was... Ew. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, nothing about that sounds appealing, which is strange because typically, you know, like, I, I'm not someone who necessarily hates on licensed games. And also, Masters of the Universe was something that I was super into as a kid. I watched all of the new She-Ra cartoon with my kid, and it was fantastic. The, the new uh, Kevin Smith Masters of the Universe... It's pretty good. I've watched like two episodes. It seemed pretty decent. So like the the universe itself is at least nostalgic for me. But as compared to say the announcement for Dune Imperium, where I was like, yes, this looks so cool. Masters of the Universe. I was like, oh, this is going to go over like a Led Zeppelin. I, I I don't know what intrinsically evokes the separation of feelings there. You have any thoughts? You've dived into my psyche enough. Like why why is one something that's appealing and one just feels gross? Ah, uh, Well, okay. My knee jerk reaction is to say that it Dune. I think let's flip it. Dune doesn't evoke that because it has proven examples. Of a board game, maybe, maybe that. that I mean, Dune, Dune has existed as a board game for a long time. It's from an era where I feel like more care and thought was given because they weren't everywhere. Those adaptations, mm -hmm. um, and maybe the property itself has some intrinsic value to it. It it has a. Uh, I mean, Dune is highly economic and highly political. Those two things both lend themselves to board games. And as I was sitting here coming up with my list of like hot properties I really want to see turned into licensed games, I realized that a lot of them fall into sort of the adventure game category because really to make a non-adventure game sort of game, you got to have something economic or political or strategic right. about a game. Hey, you know, and so you look at Masters of the Universe and what's the first thing you think? Well, it's full of colorful characters and adventure and sword fighting and and, and real dumb shit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> arguably <laughs> some really questionable aesthetics. Absolutely. And probably the entire decade's worth of Speedos. Definitely yeah. that. I think it's that it doesn't really feel like a cohesive universe and it feels like what they're trying to adapt is the the old school thing, which the old school thing was something that was really appealing to me as like a five and six year old, but it's not a property that has stuck with me. 
as opposed to, you know, something like Dune, where I've reread Dune a couple times, and at various stages of my life, it's meant something very different to me. And so even now, it, it holds, you know, a, a very um, potent grip on me uh, to, to explore that universe. Masters of the Universe, for example, just, you know, by the their own admission, the creators of it were just looking for ways to sell toys to little boys like me. And so they just came up with all kinds of wild characters and they didn't care about cohesion or the actual story of the universe. And so it feels like if Simon of all companies is going to really kind of get in there and make like a great board game out of it, I, I just don't see it unless it's super tongue in cheek. And if it's super tongue in cheek, I don't know. That also doesn't sound particularly good for a board game. No, uh, I do want to observe, though, man. I don't know enough about Masters of the Universe to to really get myself in trouble here. But did I just see like a bumblebee dude in that? Oh, dude, that's Buzz Off. Okay, so Buzz Off, (laughs) I used to live in New Delhi, India, and we would get uh, toys a little bit behind the times uh, when I was a kid. So like things that were popular in the States, we get them about two years later. Um, The uh, G.I. Joe's and uh, He-Man toys were the the hot thing. But Buzz Off was one that my dad would take me like on a weekly basis to the bazaar in order to try to get the, the, the Buzz Off toy because i was obsessed with buzz off could never get buzz off that's my new delhi masters of the universe story so don't you be hating on buzz off here if anything that one momentary tangent here too is that all i can think is this must have been targeting like the the wrestling crowd the the people who watch wwe or wwf (laughs) when you know that's how old this is like i mean look at all nobody's got pants they don't own any pants yeah, well, I mean, if you are, I guess... Even the people with pants are doing a Superman-era, like, Speedo number outside the leotard thing. Like, I'm looking at this green guy here, and he's clearly got some kind of pants on. Yeah, well, I mean, you got definitely some Lex Lugers in here. You have your Rowdy Roddy Pipers in here. Yeah. You know, like a, a Andre the Giant versus the Hulkster, you know, in WrestleMania 2. Uh, th- this is, you know, exactly the right era to have all that overlap. So, yeah, I-, I think you're right on the money. But to move on the discussion to actual uh, things that uh, are-, are relevant to the broader discussion here, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I-, I wanted to know, like, when ask you- yourself this question. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you see like any sort of licensed game, is there more likelihood of it being something that you're excited about or is it more likely that you're resistant to the idea ah it is immediately a love-hate reaction it hits the the fomo so hard and that's you can't that that immediately sends up warning bells it's like if you were a recovering alcoholic and you want to, and you, and you feel an urge to have a drink, well, you, you know, in theory you're recovering. So you know it better than to trust that feeling, but it doesn't stop the feeling. Right. So I, I imagine that's, you know, on a much smaller degree, kind of the reaction I have to it where I feel like, Ooh, I love that thing. I want that toy. Give me that board game. And then immediately after that, I go, 
oh, that's not a healthy reaction. I don't need that thing. They wanted me to feel that way. Damn. And that tells me it doesn't mean the game will be bad, but it is a red flag that the game could be bad and has a much higher potential to be bad because it doesn't need to try as hard to get my attention. It doesn't have to be good to get me to, to want it. It can be what it is, and it'll get me to want it. Yeah. And sometimes that means it's a great thing, and sometimes it means they didn't bother to try very hard. Well, Dan mentioned this in chat, that he's glad that the, the two upcoming Masters of the Universe games aren't actually, you, you know, they, they're they're not just deck building games. They're, there's mm -hmm. something more interesting going on with them, which deck building games are, are just full of schlocky, bad, you know, slap on an IP and call it good uh, type of uh, licensed games. They're the but, worst offenders. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I think that the the number one factor for me is anytime that a licensed game becomes announced is I'm resistant to the idea until I hear that there's something creative going on that feels like the the approach to the game is in line with something interesting that the universe could bring. So, for example, Masters of the Universe, going back to that, if it were a slightly tongue-in-cheek game that was about essentially just making these heroes fight one another in one-on-one -on -one duels like a five-year-old kid would do, except in a more interesting, you know, game that's maybe family-oriented, but, you know, still satisfying... I could see that if it's just a deck building game, then that is awful. That that sounds like the the theme provides no no substance to the mechanics. And then you compare that with something like, say, Game of Thrones Second Edition, where the entire plot of Game of Thrones is about this this war and the horrors and the tragedies of war and the betrayals and it is reinforced uh, through the mechanics and the mechanics are reinforced by the theme. I think that if a, a licensed game is to succeed, it really needs to do so based off of marrying the, the theme and mechanics more than anything. Well, and one of the questions that I think I immediately ask myself when I see a new licensed game is, is there something about this property that demanded a board game be made about it? You know, Game of Thrones, it had it had the logistical elements of war was a huge piece of it. You know, it wasn't just these these gripping battles, oh, there's sword fighting everywhere. It was, oh my God, how do we feed these people? Or what's the strategic, you know, outcome if I take this territory, if I pull back from this? I mean, he spent so much time going, you know, just belaboring the point sometimes, but it was a huge piece of um of that universe how do i how do i defend the wall with you know like 100 dudes and a couple sticks and you know some ice cubes um you know so so the the brutal attrition part of it was definitely lends itself to a war game but just as easily look at dune i mean the whole of dune's universe is governed by the spice trade but that screams economic board game even if you never get into the war part of it or the conflict part of it, and then you have the the warring factions, anything factional is going to help itself in a board game, um, and the intrigue elements of it. So, so those are all things that definitely lend themselves to rich mechanical ideas. There's, you know, there's a lot of games out there. I'm going to call out uh, another one, and and I'm going to say that I was, I'm still interested, but I'm cautiously optimistic. The Witcher, that's a genre of game or of property where I'm just like, 
it's an adventure game. I mean, that that universe is about killing monsters, you know, so there's not. A, I mean, you could kill monsters in this game. I'm going to guess that you're a witcher and you kill monsters. Did you ever play the Witcher game that came out? Uh, Ignacy Trewicek was the designer. What, 2014, 2016, when Witcher 3 hit really big. That's when that um, FFG joint came out. Did you play that? I did, yeah. What did you think I, of it? Um, Forgettable, <laughs> honestly. Like, I, it, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It just wasn't anything i like and nothing about it screamed oh my god it was the witcher game we always needed and wanted it was just it was kind of eldritory but we all had our own in the sense that you kind of moved around this board and uh, i'm trying to think of, there's there's kind of a subgenre like eldritory arabian nights um there's a dozen other games and I, those are the first two that came to my mind kind of like that, a, a story facilitating adventure game yeah i go from from location to location and i pass checks and some sort of story unfolds as a result. And uh, yeah, I get upgrades and stuff, but it's, and it's sort of that zoomed out macro, like Indiana Jones map where you're watching this plane fly around, kind of that level of the adventure occurs on a map sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, nothing about it screamed, you know, I mean, it was The Witcher, but it also didn't scream like The Witcher the way I thought of it is like the, the skilled monster hunter who was going to study his prey kind of thing. But again, uh, that, that lends itself more to what we have now, I assume, is the newer game is going to be more miniature heavy in the weeds combat. Yeah. Well, like, like, I mean, Kickstarter games in general, I don't know if the, the new Witcher game is going to be Kickstarter. I mean, you, you can tie in the whole, uh, like miniature heavy and license IP game thing like that. That can just be one fat discussion there because there's so much overlap between the, the Venn diagram of those two things. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about like what makes a, a good IP uh, or at least like a, a intellectual property that uh, allows for a range of different types of games. And, you know, thinking about the games that I own and the, the games that I know that there's a, a ton of uh, older games or newer games coming out. Dune, for example, is what I have brought up right now. I mean, you have, of course, the 1979 Dune, which is like a, 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 a keystone in our hobby. You know, that that's a flashpoint for things that changed and evolved one further step towards what the modern hobby is. And that wasn't even designed as a Dune game. During the, the development, Avalon Hill told the designers, well, could you make a Dune game out of this? And they were like, sure. But nonetheless, people celebrate it for the the way that it adapts the, the materials of the book that feel quintessentially Dune into this war game structure. But you're right, you know, Dune is a really nuanced uh, world. Like it, it has a lot of different lenses that you can view it as. You can have it as this militaristic, uh, backstabbing macro level uh, conflict, uh, which is that older game. And then you also have the kind of like political intrigue and alliances with various houses and just trying to navigate all of the different um, you know, machinations of this world that Dune Imperium is. And then there's also the like spiritual 
aspect of Paul's journey that, uh, you know, has this investigative and uh, mystery type of um, bent to it that the new Dune House Secrets, speaking of Ignacy Trebuchek, you know, there, there's that House Secrets game that's coming out by Portal Games as well. And so it seems like a property that leans into like there there's so many different ways that you could take this that it, it feels right for so many different types of, of properties whereas other properties feel a little bit more flimsy well i would also see if um you know that that begs it the question is there a difference between a sort of a top-down design when it comes to theme versus going bottom up as far as mechanics go you know is there a game like when you when you sit down and you go, okay, I want this to be made into a board game. This is my favorite comic book or whatever. You know, that's more of a top down design. Then you're trying to marry theme to mechanics, starting with the theme. But but the other side is what you just described, where Dune was a game that existed mechanically, and it was an obvious fit to tie it to a theme that mm. was a licensed property. The same could be said of the uh, the Dune, um, the House Secrets. You know, I mean, this is this is a, a game that already exists and is being married to a theme that fits it well. But it's not like someone sat around and said, "You know what we need? We need a Doom investigation game." Or Do Dune, <laughs> Dune. Do you have any thoughts on games that uh, where where the IPs competing like this? This is just a platform for all of the different toys to come to the table. Is the game itself like I'm thinking of Unmatched is a, a good example. They have you know all kinds of different uh, you know storylines. You know I, I wouldn't call Robin Hood an intellectual property, but also they have Jurassic Park uh, or there's the Funko battles or Funko tactics. I'm trying to remember what Funko's game is, which actually is kind of a pretty great tactical uh, combat game, a head-to-head -head tactical combat game where you can have like Batman and Harley Quinn versus Harry Potter versus these other things. And then, you know, going back to a game that made a huge impact on me versus system, you know, the, the CCG that had Marvel and DC. And at one point it had Hellboy, you know, part of the fun of those things was that you could see these mashups, matchups, mashups, you know, you're getting what Both. I'm talking about, uh, you know, with various uh you know universes and properties that otherwise you wouldn't be able to to battle do you feel like those you know allow for a different type of gaming that you wouldn't uh be appreciative of if it were just narrowed down to one ip i mean that's the big part of the selling point for some of those yes and i actually would list it, you know because of course one of the parts of fun one of the fun pieces of doing a discussion about IPs is, is coming up with your list of the ones you hate, the ones you love, and the ones you want to see. Uh, Smash Brothers would be kind of fun. Yeah, that's exactly... I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a Capcom... I mean, you and I used to jam out on Capcom versus Marvel, and right, I didn't right, care right. as much about the Capcom as the Marvel, but but I mean, come on, your boy Mega Man's in there, you know, mixing it up with Scorpion and, and stuff. Oh, I'm sorry, I just crossed genres. I was thinking DC and Mortal Kombat, and then I just... Wow, I'm mashing up the mashups. We just no. need Capcom <laughs> and, uh, and Warner Brothers to get all their stuff together in order to make the the Mortal Kombat versus Street Fighter versus uh, DC versus Marvel game that we've all been praying for. 
Right. I just I, I, I'm mashing them up in my head already, apparently. But yeah, no. So, I mean, isn't that what you like when you see two things that are somewhat similar? You're like, oh, man, I want to see like, uh, you know, uh, Ryu go head to head with like Scorpion or something. You know, you see two fighting game properties. So you want to kind of mash them up. So, yeah, I think that's a, an easy genre to do it right. Right. If you're gonna, I mean, assuming that the game's core mechanics are right, and usually that lends itself to like a head-to-head, either card game or tactical miniature format. But you know, I think that's one that you can't go too wrong on. And yes, having multiple properties makes it more whimsical, and then it doesn't have to be um, as. Uh, could you play the card game Smash Up? That's yeah, a pretty yeah, popular yeah. AEG yeah, title. Of course, of course. I, you know, I played that for a while, and I and I did. I really enjoyed just the lighthearted, just jamming together of genres. Like I'm gonna have ghosts and mushroom people, or dragons and you know leprechauns, space guys and Elvis impersonators, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of format it means that you don't have to treat the theme too seriously, and so you can do a lot more with it. So let's talk about our collections. You know, I, you were like, well, we could actually take a look at our, the, our collections and the count on here. And I sat back and looked at my board game shelf and I actually have uh, 16 licensed games. Uh, I listed it in our notes 15, but I actually have one um, that's uh, on my review pile right now. Uh, and that's a real sizable chunk of my collection. I did not anticipate that, but I think again, it's because I didn't intrinsically lump in, you know, my heart of hearts, Lord of the Rings with uh, licensed games because, you know, I they're, they're adaptations mostly of the book material rather than the movie or anything. And I, I tend to think of licenses as more modern things, you know, comic books and movies and video games and that kind of stuff. But I have seven damn Lord of the Rings games. It's bananas, maybe too many Lord of the Rings games. But they're all different, and they're all beautiful. Um, well, would you say that you have a fellowship of Lord of the Rings games? I have damn near a fellowship. In fact, I need two more in order to really round that out. Yeah, I need well, I mean, nine how board many, games to go against nine riders is what I'm saying. How many hobbits do you really need in a fellowship, though? I mean, you kind of got <laughs> one to carry the ring and one to carry the guy carrying the ring. And then I, the rest of them are just knocking stuff down wells at that point. Like, yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, you could get into the whole debate over whether Eowyn was successful in killing the Witch King herself or if it became possible for her to kill the Witch King because of the the stabinating that a hobbit did in the shin or ankle, the, I guess. The tiny stabbing. Exactly. So my number, my number of uh, licensed board games, I was not particularly uh, generous with the, my exclusions. So I included a few odds and ends ones where like, okay, yeah, it's Games Workshop. Yeah, yeah. But overall, 27. Wow. Yeah. I would trim a few of those out because a couple of those are D&D based board games. So I would actually trim that down, but it still works its way out to be. And some of them are actually on the purge list. Uh, but let's just say it's an average of about one in five games that I own on a semi-permanent basis are licensed games. Um, you know, the thing is, is my numbers are definitely inflated by Lord of the Rings. Uh, Star Wars had a couple of titles. You know, some of the, the big ones, the successful ones, seemed to, one of the trends I saw was that the really successful properties also have several really successful games. Mm. I mean, you and I both own two different Dune games. Uh, that's a surprising amount of Dune games for a property that hasn't had a movie since 
you know, pugs went into battle in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, uh, it's interesting looking at this list. Uh, I, I put two down for Lovecraft. I, I wanted to know, do you consider your eldritch horrors, your Arkham horrors, your elder signs, your, you know, what have you as licensed games? I mean, first off, um, you know, part of the reason why uh, board game companies love publishing games set in this universe is it's a very popular setting that is you know, going to appeal to the grimy film noir crowd, as well as the sci-fi crowd, as well as the fantasy crowd. You can get a little bit of everything in there, and it is in the public domain. So therefore, anything that Lovecraft did, you can base whatever you want off of it or manipulate it in any way that you want without having to pay the royalties associated with licensing a game or the licensing fees. But it also seems like... Uh, the the creators of these games have more and more tried to divorce themselves from the Lovecraft versus the mythos, if you get what I'm saying. Well, and that's fair because to be honest, Lovecraft is known for his the, for the mythos, but he is not at all the only or even the first person to write in that genre. He just may be considered the more most successful or widely known. So the reality yeah, yeah. is, is, you know, Lovecraft epitomizes a genre for a lot of people, especially if you only ever, you know, if that's your only entry point into the, that type of reading. But um, it, there were a lot of pulpy uh, cosmic horror type writing going on. I mean, um, in, in the same way that, like, if you think back to, like, where Asimov and, th and sci-fi stories like that were published um, in magazines and things yeah. like that in, in trade magazines tales and, and strange yeah. stories and all that kind of stuff it's it's that kind of writing and and lovecraft himself invited other authors to borrow from his own mythos he borrowed from other people's writing and so the thing is 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 it's probably better for all of us as a whole anyway because it gets away from that controversial author issue if right, we right. just really call it a genre i mean you've got so many good modern entries into it Hell hellboy is a great example of highly lovecraftian in nature uh but it, it, it's a modern entry that you don't tie back to the name lovecraft i guess is what i'm getting at you don't think right, of cthulhu right. but it's very much in the same vein yeah like you could have a call of cthulhu board game which is very much an adaptation of this specific story or you know like events that could correspond or line up to this specific story but if you're in the eldritch mythos uh then that's less of you know an adaptation and more just like using it as a setting or a genre um i think famously robert e howard who did conan uh the barbarian that was one of lovecraft's main correspondents because he was a real prolific writer and i think they both featured each other's stuff or at least references to each other's stuff in their works um so yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting thing that I've thought about. And also, I'd like to see how that evolves throughout our lifetime is not just Lovecraft's work and that particular uh, flavor, but also as things become part of the public domain, uh, what, what 
is going to be the new Lovecraft for people to latch on to and start basing games on left and right because it's an easy thing to go to. It can be nostalgic. It can be that that thing that everyone kind of intrinsically understands and you can make your take on it. Uh, but at the same time, is free and you don't have to spend the dollars for it. Well, we live in an era where Disney owns everything, so you're assuming that anything will ever go into the public domain again. <laughs> yeah. and Mickey Mouse success- holds tight. They've successfully managed to push back copyright uh, laws to like some ridiculous. I think it's last time I looked, it was like 125 years or something ridiculous like that. It's hard for me to imagine. Like Lord of the Rings deserves to be in the public domain one day, but it's hard for me to imagine and ever seeing that happen with the billions of dollars that are surrounding that franchise how do they not fight tooth and nail for the descendants of the descendants of the shareholders to hang on to this stuff you know yeah yeah exactly well actually i that's a whole other thing we could get into the whole tolkien thing and i i think i think tolkien would be actually kind of welcoming to the idea of like fan fiction and other authors writing things that are are within that universe but that that's a whole other thing uh one one tangent uh, i wanted to go down just you know as a footnote in this discussion uh is wrapping back to dune a little uh it is interesting to note that licenses can also prevent games from getting made uh you know i i love little nuggets of board game history or really any hobby history and you and i have both played rex which was the reskinning of the original 79 dune into the twilight imperium setting because the the uh rights to the theme of dune couldn't be obtained in order to re-release the game and it, they were only able to acquire the rights to the the game itself uh and so they were like well we can put out the same game just under a different theme wasn't particularly successful and it wasn't until just recently that gale force 9 was able to come up with the proper reimagining of the 1979 dune because as part of the movie the herbert estate was willing to license out some of the property in order to uh, get more merchandise made in a way that they weren't ready to do years ago so all this licensing stuff i mean it, it has such a broad impact on various sectors of culture including little things in board games well and and to use another example of that although maybe not for the same reason Battlestar Galactica and our, our previous discussion of uh, Battlestar Atlantica, the, the right, right. Uh, yeah. The, I'm trying to think of which great old one is Dagon or something. Um, yeah. So, so there's a theory thinking of a board game to take it away from a licensed property, probably not for the reason that, you know, BSG wouldn't welcome a reprinting so much as that board, that property is probably expired in the, collective consciousness not old enough to be truly nostalgic like masters of the universe but too old to be the hot topic unless something new ignites you know gets it on the people's radars okay i i gotta respond to a couple comments here uh first off uh john was giving me shit earlier for uh my facial (laughs) hair but kyle 
of give pause hobby he knows what's up uh and you know there there was a crowbar accident during some of the construction recently so i uh, i had to ditch the the majority of the beard and thankfully i didn't stick with the the full-on uh abe lincoln thing that i had going on um, hold on hold on so what you've just admitted live on camera is that hitting you in the face with a crowbar is an improvement well, I mean, I guess I, I can be humble about that because crowbarred or not, it's still going to be an improvement over you. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of having some scars up on the upper lip. Uh, also, uh, Dan Cheston has a, a comment about a Chronicles of Narnia game. And uh, I looked at I looked at that. As it relates to your wardrobe behind you, but that ain't actually a not a wardrobe. That's just a pair of massive brown curtains to keep out the uh, Alaska sunlight that comes in only during the summer, but constantly during the summer. Um, so yeah, so no, what's that... what's the news on the Narnia game? Do we got anything? I did a little bit of looking. I you know all I can find is some of those. There there are some surprisingly older titles for licensed board games that are you know you think back to like the Parker Brothers types type games that are not super not what we think of hobby board gaming there's a 2005 game by milton bradley parker brothers hasbro again uh, mm -hmm. i think you're gonna find that you're looking at a lot of roll and move candy landy type stuff uh, that, i mean that's me judging a book by its cover but i'm looking at these pieces and i i've read this book before when i was like six <laughs> not, um... not the real book narnia which i also did read the metaphorical one where this is clearly not a great game. Sure. Well then let's, uh, let's round this out with like some examples of some of like the, the best and worst, uh, that we've seen and then take it over to our dream IPs. So like when you think of a licensed game, uh, what, what are some of the polarizing titles that hop into your mind? The ones where you're like, oh, this is actually what represents a good one. And then the ones that make you go like, I resent the whole thing entirely. And in fact, board games are terrible and I hate the world because they burn <laughs> me that bad for messing up my IP. The thing that I wanted to see and this is what you give me. I think that the ones that burn you are probably the more memorable in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, good ones are good. Battlestar Galactica is a great game uh, for what it did and for what it, it how it tied so well to the IP itself. Um, that is one where maybe the game itself hasn't aged as well, but the I mean, I'd say it's still good, but it's definitely not like I would redesign it. I would love to see a redesign or reimplementation of that idea, but um. Well, it was, it was genre defining. I mean, at the time yes. you had uh, Shadows Over Camelot, which predated that. And yeah, that, that was an incredibly innovative game itself. But it didn't necessarily nail down the formula, which has been replicated since. And yes, there right. was Werewolf before that. But I would say that most of the hidden role trader games that have come out since have been riffing on Battlestar Galactica more than they have been on Werewolf and um, Shadows Over Camelot before. It's kind of like, you know, when people are like, well, the Beatles didn't invent rock and roll music. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, that what came after it was they weren't necessarily looking at what predated 1965 they were looking at what was popularized in that year 
Right. You're talking about a thing where someone did it. It's the, it's the Tolkien issue where someone did something so successfully in the public mind that everything after that will either be compared intentionally or unintentionally. Either it's intentionally trying to improve it or it's being compared by the people consuming it. And yeah, that's what I was getting at with BSG is that maybe the mechanics haven't aged as well because there have been improvements. But what it did for that IP was amazing and the way it tied the, the mechanics so well to the IP and retained a good board game, a genre-defining board game. And I would like to see a re-implementation of that one. What I really like about it, yeah, yeah, of of course. I mean, it it would be awesome to get more Edward James Olmos in our life, uh, which is one of the only reasons why I can forgive using movie stills or, you know, pictures from the show, uh, which I really like what Dune Imperium ended up doing if they were going to base it off of upcoming The art over... Yeah, you know, do do some art, make it clearly Timmy C that you're doing there, uh, but at the same time, make it a, an illustration or Zendaya or, you know, what have you. But with BSG, uh, the the sense of paranoia uh, and the the little tiny nods where you can make these uh, connections between the the characters and their mechanical importance you know that that thematic resonance is so good like uh the the admiral kane is an example in the pegasus expansion the ability to just take charge and airlock someone is such a a potent representation of the the power and demeanor of that character and yet it's such a, a small thing. One of the things I really like about uh, a lot of board game adaptations that work for me is when they're not overly granular. You know, they let you kind of fill the gaps. There's just a little nod mechanically to what this character's role is within the universe, but they don't get too deep into specific stats and you know overly try to pin down what this person or character or thing is supposed to represent when they let you kind of fill in the gaps from what you know of the property i think it actually works to its favor i would agree with that i also like that feeling of i think you've done the theme justice when you can feel like you just want to point it and go yes that's the thing they do that's this is what makes them them this is what makes this show this and and with bsg that was one of those games where you're just like yeah i mean every bit of it feels like this is something this character would do even if it's just a simple power um be gaius and just be like okay not only am i the smartest guy in the room and i can tell who's a cylon but you can't trust me by virtue of the fact that i don't have i can't show you proof i have to uh just tell you verbally and that's been some of the sources of the best uh moments in that game Let's talk about this uh, travesty. I owned that game once upon a time. Have you played that? I have not played it, but I know a lot of people who are particularly burned about it. This is actually one of those ones where my gut reaction, even though I love Mega Man, was like, yeah, that's just going to be a terrible game. And I did not (laughs) invest. And I'm glad I didn't. This predated my common sense purchasing uh, habits. Honestly, there are two licensed games that I'll hold up as, as two just rotten games that I picked up. And both of them felt like they had potential to me for some reason or another. Mega Man and Dark Souls, both video game properties, both painfully long and unfun to play. Um, that one, I mean, the God, the Mega Man game, the minis were so cool. They were like having little Mega Man action figures. They were pre-painted. 
I mean, God, the, the the quality control those guys went through with the miniatures to me seemed really impressive at the time. Um, and yeah, these Dark Souls miniatures were hand painted by somebody that had a lot more skill at that than I do. <laughs> um, the Mega Man ones were pre painted though, and in the color scheme that that they they were the bright, vibrant video game color scheme. It looked like watching the cartoon, or if you had any of the old action figures like I did. I loved Mega Man as a property, so I jumped on that, and it, it nothing. It was too long. It it was too random. It was everything you shouldn't like about a board game in that regards. Like the mechanics just were clumsy and clunky. It kind of captured what it was like to be Mega Man, I guess, except that you were all Mega Man. I mean, that's the thing is, is you know, I couldn't even forgive any of the sins it committed mechanically because at no point did I feel like I was that married to the theme. I was mm. I was playing cards to go through levels, but I never saw the levels because the levels were abstractly represented by spaces. The boss fights were kind of the only part that felt Mega Man-ish and were executed with cards. And again, only kind of felt like I was being Mega Man in any way. And the fact that everybody at the table was essentially Mega Man, just right. in different, like we were all playing the same video game and I had lives and stuff. And yeah, I guess that felt like an arcadey Nintendo game, but I don't know. It didn't capture anything about what I remembered loving about the video game. So what what about like a high point? You already mentioned BSG. Is there anything that's still in your collection today where you're like, boom, if someone comes to my table and they're like, all oh, licensing games suck, you'd be like, this is what I got. Um, you know, to be honest, I looked around and uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> not, I mean, <laughs> that sounds bad for a guy who said one in five. And I, and I really think, I really think that number is highly inflated. I didn't actually parse out how many D&D and Games Workshop uh, titles are in there. you know. So maybe if we took those out, I'd be way closer, like one in four, or sorry, one in four, one in six, one in seven, maybe. Um, and a lot of them, honestly, a lot of them are on the chopping block. I'm looking over at my shelves and thinking like Warcraft, the board game's on the chopping block. I think Dune Imperium is a good example. Mm -hmm. um, it felt very Dune-like and factional. Um, and I think Game of Thrones, I mean, I think honestly... The ones that do it right are few and far between. Yeah. Um, Doom, Doom, the board game. Doom, not Dune, but Doom, like, bah, heavy, uh, like Doom. shoot, 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 heavy yeah. metal. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, jump some more, shoot some zombies more. zombies coming at you. Rip and tear, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barons yeah. from Hell. I, I enjoyed it. It was, but it was kind of a, an implement, a, a descent implementation. So it's not, it's not one that I would hold up as like, oh man, this is a, you know, an amazing game. It's if you liked Doom and you liked Descent you won't really hate this game. It's it's a, it's a good for those people. But <laughs> I would still probably, if I were trying to sell someone a board game, I would still be like, well, let's play Descent then, because it's just as good, but there's more of it. Right. So, uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault is another, it's a good, but again, I feel like Star Wars, I mean, there's so many Star Wars games and there's so many Marvel games now. I would hold Marvel Champions up as a, I really enjoy it as a licensed game. It's better, honestly, it's, it's better than the non-licensed Sentinels of the Multiverse. I'm sorry if people like Sentinels. It's, it's just Marvel Champions, but not as good. It's a better game. It's just yeah, a oh my god, game. so much better. Yeah. Um, tighter packaging, just the the whole way it's presented. But again, I feel like you throw a, a dart at a wall blindly, you're gonna hit some. You know, you just throw up a bunch of notes on there. You're gonna hit like a decent Marvel, Lord of the Rings, or Star Wars game. So that's almost cheating. Right. 
So, you know, like you just brought up Lord of the Rings. Uh, I agree with you. Game of Thrones and uh, Dune Imperium are highlights for me. I like the the classic Dune game reimagined. I think those are really great. Um, and Lord of the Rings games, I have a ton of them. You know, I have the whole War of the Ring line. Uh, I have the old War of the Ring battle game, uh, which actually was a gift from you. Uh, and that's a nostalgic thing. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people hold up War of the Ring as like one of the greatest uh, adaptation board games of all time, not only because it's a great, you know, like laser focus on the written work of Tolkien and really trying to account for all of the things in Middle Earth, but also because it's a really great war game in its own right. But I think that to me, it's a great war game adaptation of the Lord of the Rings, but I think it misses a lot of the spirit of the Lord of the Rings, which is a big reason why I like the Kinesia, the old clunky uh, Lord of the Rings cooperative game um, that came out uh, and was the inspiration for some of the earlier games we talked about. Uh, Shadows over Camelot was directly inspired by it and um, Pandemic was directly inspired by it. One of the granddaddies of modern cooperative games. Um, and even though it, a lot of people would be like, this is way too abstract, in its abstraction, in its looseness, I think it actually cares much more about the idea that, you know, approaching every battle with a sword isn't the right way to go. Sometimes it's important to run just as much as it is to stand your ground and fight. Uh, collaboration between players is incredibly important. Uh, and like it, it focuses on a lot of the, the real Tolkienian, you know, principles probably based around his experiences as both like a veteran and a Catholic, like what he viewed as, you know, the, the thematic essence of the world. And it was a fun game. Um, and so I really love that as well. Uh, but I, I think of all the games that I have on my shelf, the one that I most readily take out as a licensed game, the one that I'm most excited about is going back to Dune Imperium. There's there's a good reason why it was so successful when it came out last year, uh, because so it's accessible, uh, it adapts the material well, people are excited currently about Dune, and it's just a really solid game. It's not like a 10 out of 10 in any one individual thing it does, but it, what it does, it does well. Uh, and uh, in its broadness, it also touches on these real niche things, which are pretty cool too, to actually see. I'm hoping that uh, the upcoming expansion kind of adds a little to that. Um, I, I'm getting that because I do want to see that game grow a little bit and expand some of its... Uh... Uh, strategic options but yeah um, i'm gonna call out the chat for for nailing one that i actually didn't think of it's no longer in my collection but i would still rate it very highly as a licensed game um uh, and i actually have two but one of them was called out in chat specifically dan called out uh firefly mm. which again i think did a really good service to if if anyone's ever played merchants and marauders which i know you have um, and I don't know, have you played the Firefly board game? Yeah, I have. I played it with okay. you. Another Gale right. Force 9 joint. In fact, I think that was the game that kind of put them on the map for me. Oh, yeah. Um, so so with that, again, I think I think they took a genre of game that already existed, though, and they married it really well to um, to that universe. I mean, it, it, it very much embodied the spirit of I'm, I'm a captain, I have a ship, and I have the freedom to go anywhere. 
And it, I, the whole I, universe is a sandbox. And that was I the essence of the show. How the box art for this looks like a really bad Photoshop <laughs> right now. Like the this it absolutely like a is a really bad Photoshop. <laughs> this looks like a thumbnail I could create, and I am not good at any sort of digital manipulation. So uh, that kind of shows how this uh, has been dated a little bit. But I I think this was a little bit more of a uh shoestring budget in order to get this uh Moving, another another production stills one though yeah not sure how much i forgive it but i mean i, I remember that game being long though like you know well yeah but this style of short game fans. yeah 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 um and, and that actually crosses into another area that i I know you and I aren't necessarily like super into, uh, but like this army militaristic battles thing, uh, you have had uh, Battles of Westeros, um, which uh, is Song of Ice and Fire. Then uh, there's also like um, uh, the, the, the people behind uh, War of the Ring. Uh, why am I forgetting their name right now? Uh, their company out of Italy. They had BSG for a while as like a miniatures game. Uh, Star Wars has a couple of their miniatures games uh, that um, uh, you've played. I know that you've loved some of those kind of the dogfighty ones or the, the big, big miniatures in the sense. Yeah, de- I mean, I wouldn't I would not call them miniatures games. They are definitely the Star Wars uh, the the fantasy flight line of both X-Wing and Armada, they're very miniature heavy, obviously. But when you're talking miniature games, I do think it is is of interesting note that miniature games in the sense that like those feel more prepackaged, but like the 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 Warhammer type game, like the really truly army. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm getting at. I guess I guess something about uh, Armada and X-Wing felt more tried. They tried to boil it down and package it for a broader audience than those. But there are Star Wars. There are Game of Thrones. There are Fallout. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord Fallout. Of the Rings. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like that's another area. It may not be deck builders because they do have to put a little more love mechanically into it. But it definitely is one of those where they're like, were there factions in this? And did those factions have more than two people in them? Then we're going to make them all fight on a battlefield. You know, one that I got to give a, a call out to here. They don't deserve a shout out. But uh, early Plaid Hat Games had a Bioshock Infinite uh, board game. And it was kind of a big deal for them. Uh, so, you know, it was certainly exciting. They talked about it in the podcast leading up to its release. They actually got to go to the studio and see like pre-release content for this incredibly anticipated game uh and uh they were able to sneak a lot of theme into the game uh they got to have some fantastic illustrations done but the game itself wasn't really that good uh like it it was incredibly swingy with some discordant mechanics and just kind of fell apart and uh, i think they kind of swept it under the rug as like yeah let's not really talk about bioshock infinite anymore let's talk about dead of winter that was really successful let's talk about that one but it was a big deal when it came out with you know tons of attention and pre-orders uh and that has gone the way of the white buffalo as far as availability and interest the the thing about well and, and you know we'd be remiss if we didn't call it the resident evil deck building game is oh yeah yeah property i mean i'm pretty sure that at one point we were it was just like a dude in a ba- i this was our impression of it way <laughs> before we consumed any board game media of any kind 
Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just a random dude in the basement printing this stuff, like off of production, like video game production spills that varied wildly depending on what game they were from. Because you buy like the first box was mostly from game like from like Resident Evil 2 or something. And then I think like the third box was like heavily into Resident Evil 5. And the stills from those were exactly the differences you'd expect graphically. <laughs> very jarring, very jarring art assets on some of those. But um, uh, uh, yeah, I Bioshock was a good example to me of a game that didn't capture what I felt when I played the video game. I did not... And I didn't think the third game really was the epitome of that anyway in that series. I really think the first game did that. And nothing about the board game really captured that sense of why did this have to be Bioshock? Right, um, right. Yeah. The, my, last pos- my last probably call out is not an A+, but it's probably a, it's probably an A- minus for me. Um, Plague. Plague Inc. Specifically, oh, yeah. if you've ever played the, the, the app, uh, that is, it is a good implementation of what was kind of a time killer app that was fun to watch sort of carry out uh it was a good implementation of that in a board game form and it's a an easily accessible area control with an easily accessible theme that is kind of fun to watch you know instead of building armies you're watching this almost organic growth of your plague army maybe thematically not as cool for some people in this day and age where that yeah actually you know probably pandemic is really the theme you want to go in that direction but if you're like fine if i can't beat them join them i want to be the plague i would recommend that game yeah uh, real world events affecting your desire to play a game is is a true true will vary mileage will vary yeah, I I was actually thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll play some Pax Pamir solo, and then I was like, ugh, I do not want political strife, upheaval, and assassinations in Kabul as kind of like my my ritual uh, at night at this point. So maybe I'll take a pass on that game for a little bit. But we're pulling up on an hour yeah. here, John. So let's end it with like dream IP or IPs, you know, what are the games that you want to see based off of your favorite stuff? Let, well, let's I mean, aim big here. We're kids. That We're t-shirt yours looks nostalgia. pretty cool, man. I wish they'd make a board game out of that t-shirt. Yeah, I know. If only this Oath thing were actually yeah. a game. Looks like it's got cool. some cool characters, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. I'm going to hit you with the big one first. I think I know what it is. Do you know what it is? Because we had it. We yeah. both had it, and we both got rid of it, and... Mass Effect. It 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 got the risk treatment. It got the risk treatment. It could have been so much better. Worst. That is the worst possible implementation. Well, it could have been Monopoly. Monopoly. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) where I was. That's about the only thing you could do to make it worse. And actually, I played. Did you actually ever play your copy? Uh, no, I. It's really hard to get that played. I I got it because I loved Mass Effect so much, and then every time I thought about playing it as a Risk game, I was just like, I gotta move. And I grew up playing Risk. I loved Risk as a kid, but I recognize that that exercise is not something I enjoy as a board game anymore. I want more than what it can do for me. And if I do go back and play it on those rare occasions with like my dad, my uncle, it's a nostalgia train. So I did play it. It was a, you know, if you're going to take a risk board game, it was a good implementation of Mass Effect as a whole. But I really want to see it given its own universe uh, or given its own board game in that universe. Um, mm. And I, I do think maybe a war aspect of it because it had, the, by the third one, it was really focused on unifying the galaxy, maybe something cooperative, maybe a War of the Ring treatment where it's this very much the Reapers are 
overwhelmingly powerful and it's it's hold them off until you can collectively cooperatively save the galaxy yeah yeah i'd love to see it um i've got one more so hit me with yours okay well i i was going through the list and i was thinking about like uh, it it would be good to see like a stormlight archive board game i know brandon sanderson has actually like asked publicly what people would like to see out of a stormlight board game and there have been uh kind of those like mashup battle games there has been a stormlight archive edition of that um and and there's been other games set on what is the the call to adventure I, I've seen it on shelves. What is the call to adventure? It's like a card game arena battle thing. I don't know. Like I, I only found out about it as it relates to this Stormlight Archive. But I, I think, um, you know, like I, I'm hot on the series. It's probably my favorite ongoing series that's actually getting entries right now you know as opposed to game of thrones uh wins of win or when uh but uh, i would love to see that it's got fantastic powers uh it's got a really interesting setting the the universe is unlike most fantasy universes and there's lots of things that you could pull from if anything one of the faults that i have with the series is it feels sometimes too much like brandon sanderson is like i'm making rpg characters and i'm not making narrative characters um he he pulls through he pulls through but uh sometimes he gets very excited about defining the rules of his universe and like filling and fighting against archetypes um so that was one but then the other one that came to my mind is i am so burned that there is not a proper damn sim city board game that is great you know sim city sim city 2000 there have been lots of city builders that have come out as board games my wife refers to suburbia as like uh, yeah exactly way. that that seems like a clear thematic inspiration but it's not quite the same thing i think there is room for a scaling one to however many players cooperative um building uh city planning game out there uh city skylines uh was a a video game that then had a board game adaptation but it's all right you know like i think that uh whoever owns the rights to SimCity very much could do with like a proper hobby board game treatment and come out with something incredibly special um in the way that tower defense games i i've never really played a board game tower defense game that truly felt like the tower defense games i love there's got to be a better way to approach SimCity. so that that's one of my dream themes well in all fairness one i did see a tower defense game at a gen con many many years ago that looked super intense and didn't make i mean it was the tower defense game so maybe that's the one you're missing maybe um, but, it is but also you're kidding yourself if you think sim city is what needs to get made into a game i mean that would be overlooking at least two other sim games sim ant you're telling me that is they're you... gonna make city before ant come on right exactly you okay. know we gotta have sim ants we gotta have sim life uh and the, there was uh some sim like universe or something uh, spore spore that was kind of like a sim thing <laughs> so so my other one my other one is one that i also know that you could probably agree with is a property deserving way more love than than uh than it gets um and all the merchandising in the world but i'm not sure what i would want in a game from it and i've thought about this as i've mused about like amateur board game designer moments where i'm just like man if i design a game what would i do and i don't know what this would deserve 
what does the Venture Brothers need for a board game? <laughs> what what makes that show that show? Like, is is it? Do you pick a character and then you go around and fail at things? Like, you know, right. do you have factional stuff like the OSI and the Monarch? You know, is it is it cooperative in nature? Are we trying to find out who Rusty's mom is? Like. I, I think you could do the the Imperium treatment, you know, different factions that you're trying to interact and align yourself with. Uh, but it, that is a universe that is so fit for storytelling and building characters and unique characters uh, that to me that that is so an RPG like that, that deserves an RPG more than anything else. As far as a board game, like it, it feels like a sin if I were to have a little pawn for the monarch and just kind of walk around a board and do something with that. Like I, I don't feel like I could embody what really that character represents, but having that as an NPC in which my made up goofy ass character is, uh, you know, interacting with, I can see that. All right, all right. Um, speaking of RPGs, and we know we got to wrap it up here, but I'll just say that I do like uh, that is something that I I collect those, and I've gotten a, a fair number of them played recently. I've got a couple active groups, and so I'm always on the lookout for good licensed RPG properties because that is another area that I love to see given that treatment. Because exactly like you said, it gives the the user the freedom to create stories in that universe themselves, and and divorces some of the mechanical needs of like, well, how do I represent all the complexities of these characters in a mechanical way you don't you just give them rules to interact with the game by and then let the storytellers do their work well um, and so i'm excited about the avatar RPG. I, yeah i was about to just say that and you know what the optimistic. board game the board game the the avatar pro bender arena was a great example of how to like take such a niche thing from a universe and develop that into a board game. And it turned out to be one of the best sports games that I'd ever played. Uh, it's a little too narrow in the retail edition. Uh, so I definitely have some complaints about the game itself, but the, the framework was really cool. And I guess if you were doing Venture Brothers and you did something that was very narrow, like this was a game where you were doing rescue missions and you could only sacrifice so many Hanks and Deans uh, in order to succeed at this. Uh, Brock could only bail you out out, uh, so many times then maybe that would work uh and have it be like a very microcosm rather than being like what they attempted to do with that older witcher game right uh, but, but yeah avatar i mean that rpg sounds awesome Jay, if for no other reason i'll be watching things like that closely then because i really do enjoy that universe i do agree that the board game i didn't list it as one of my favorite ip ones because it was such a narrow piece it was a a good game but it wasn't it wasn't a great amazing game it was a, a solid game it was a good implementation totally. of that theme but it was such a tiny slice of that that universe that it didn't capture hmm, what i was hoping for but i think a storytelling game an rpg may do that so we'll have to see if it's a system i like well I think that is plenty to talk about for licensed games today. The good, the bad, the ugly. I, I saw a reference in chat earlier to uh, whether or not the good, the bad, the ugly would be a successful adaptation or if anyone would have the cojones to successfully do that. And you know what? I could see it. I could see it. Maybe I should start working on it, you know, sketching out my 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 uh, pitch sheet here, uh, my design diaries, uh, because... 
hey, if there are samurai games, there should be more Western games out there uh, that aren't the the few and the cursed because that was not great. And it was a licensed adaptation of a comic book. Um, but uh, John, as always, thank you for uh, joining me uh, on hosting duties here. Uh, thank you to everyone who participated in chat. Uh, and if this is uh, something you dig, you want to give some feedbacks, uh, then let us know either in chat, comments, or go over to the Discord, Twitter, whatever. Um, and uh, if you have any topics you'd like to see us tackle in the future, we'd love to hear about it. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks for coming back on, John. Well, we'll see you next time.